Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. Part three of our series, uh, Four Things I Wish You Knew About God. Obviously, each week, t- taking on one thing at a time. Um, if you have not been here, I encourage you, go grab a free CD in the back. Go watch online for free at uh, nbchurch.tv. Thank you for being here today. Uh, we have talked about how the reality is, is that when you grow up in America, you have an idea and a notion of who God is. You have certain ideas about who God is. You definitely pick up on ideas if you didn't grow up in church. The, you, your, your best guess of who God is is when you look at God's people and how many know that's not always the, the best thing in the world. And so, but, but we have these images of God. Many of us grew up in church. And so depending on what denomination or what camp or what group we grew up in, we've got our images of who God is. But how many know sometimes those images are just jaded? Sometimes those things are jaded, maybe even by the parents that we had. Many of us have a God picture because we hear God as father and our God picture is kind of built on. Well, if God is a dad, my dad was this or that. And so we, we end up filtering who God is through our dad image. Sometimes there's all kinds of ways that we can kind of begin to take who God really is and then distort him and kind of picture him in the image that we just want him to be. And the problem is, is when we do that, we really shortchange ourselves. We miss out on a lot of things. We, we don't totally understand who God is. And so we end up falling into certain temptations or traps or maybe we just distance ourselves from God, but this series is designed because I just wanted to let you know four really, really big foundational, maybe what I think are the four most important things that I could tell you today about who God is. And we started this journey with talking about this big reality that if you, if you miss everything else, this is what you really need to know about God is that God is love. Not that he's loving. He actually is love. It's the essence. It's the core. It's the nature. It's it's his makeup. He is love. He can't help himself. It's just who he is that he actually the only reason you ever wondered why you're here. One of those big, you know, mysterious questions of like, why is the universe? You ever done that? Had one of those. You were were in college. You were experimenting. You had one of those philosophical moments. You're like, why are we even here? And, And let me tell you why you're here. Because God is love. And out of the abundance of his love, he created you so that he might be in a loving relationship with you. He is love. And that is the foundation for everything. Last week we talked about not only is he love, but he actually has a plan and a blueprint for your life. And he wants you to know that blueprint for your life. And, and, and today what I want to do is talk to you about probably the most maybe misunderstood aspect of who God is. And here's the big walk away if, if you're with us today. This is what we're going to talk about is that God is not just with you. God is within you. And there's a difference. In the Old Testament, a lot of people that God was with them. But in the New Testament, God said, I'm going to change things. And I'm actually going to go from being with people to being within people. Let's pray as we begin our journey today. Jesus, we pray that your presence is here, God, that you are speaking to us, helping us, that God, the scriptures make sense to us, God, that we walk out of here different than the way we walked in. That, God, you you help us, that you change us from the inside out, God. Have your way in this place. God, let our prayer be have your way in my mind and in my heart, Lord. That's our prayer today in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. So everybody say this. Everybody say, God is within me. So what happens is this. The Bible describes this supernatural experience that is supernatural on the inside, but sometimes very, very plain on the outside. And it's this, is that when you become a Christ follower, there are certain things that change about you that you're not even fully aware of. And one of them is, is that the Holy Spirit comes upon your life. It is, it is part of you. And here's what you need to know, that God is three in one and one in three. And that's even a little bit hard to wrap our brains around because there's nothing in this universe to compare it to. But God is Father. He is Son. 
and he is Holy Spirit. Now, here's what you need to know. This is what we overlook sometimes as Christ followers, is, is we know we're following Jesus. We know that Jesus is our Savior. We know that there's a Father in heaven. We, 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 we kind of are aware maybe of this thing called the Holy Spirit, but we don't know exactly how that works. And here's what you just kind of need to know, is that God is in heaven, which is not exactly locational as much as it is dimensional. God is in heaven, though. The Bible says that, they, that he sits on a throne and that Jesus is, is, is at his right hand. So if God's in heaven on a throne and Jesus is at his right hand, okay, then who's actually here? And that's the person of the Holy Spirit. And so many times when we're asking God for help, we're like, Jesus, help me. What are we really saying? We're asking for God, who is present with us and within us, to be God around us, to, to, to be in the midst of our situation. What we're actually asking for, even though we don't use the words, is we're asking for the power of the Holy Spirit to help us in some way, some shape, or some form. And here's what you need to know. Today, as we look at the Holy Spirit, listen to this scripture here. John chapter 14, verse 16. Jesus is saying a prayer. He says, I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That's who we're talking about today is the person of the Holy Spirit. Because I need you to know this. This is really, really big, really important that you know this about God. Is that God just is not around you. That God is just not in control. That's kind of a deistic kind of philosophy. That God is a deity out there. He spun the world in motion. Stepped back and said, hey, y'all, good luck with that. And walked away. That's not what happened. But he sent his son into the earth that we might see the perfect reflection of who God's love is and become our redemption through the cross. But in light of that, he still didn't just walk away and be like, all right, now, look, I did everything for you. Good luck with that now. But now the Holy Spirit, this is what Jesus is saying. He says, when I leave, I will send another and he will not just be with you, but he will be with in you. Are you following me so far? So the Holy Spirit is all throughout the Bible. As a matter of fact, when you read the Bible, you need to know the Holy Spirit was there at creation. The Bible says in Genesis 1-1 that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was void without form of And then the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. And so this is where you need to know, like, the Holy Spirit has always been active throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament. When you think about Jesus, there's this dynamic picture of where Jesus... Kind of near his 30th birthday, he goes out to see a guy named John the Baptizer and get baptized in water. And the Bible says that all three of them are there in that moment. Because it says that Jesus is in the water, that the Father speaks from heaven, and that the Spirit descends on Jesus. And you see this beautiful picture of all three of them together. And so you see this dynamic of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit has always been at work in the world, has always been at work in people in lives, doing what God does here on earth. In the Old Testament, it said that the Spirit of God would come upon a person. You really don't see him living within a person, though, until you get to the New Testament. And that's where Jesus said, hey, I'm going to pass the baton. I'm leaving. But someone is going to help you. Now, here's the deal. Because here's the kickback that I always get whenever I talk about the Holy Spirit. There are two kind of major ditches that we fall into. We're going down this path, and we either go this way and fall in here. We go in this way and fall in here. And here's, here's one of them. There is certain camps and crews of Christianity that kind of do this. They take the Holy Spirit, and their mistake is, is that they make the, the Holy Spirit um, strange. Let's just put it like that. Weird. 
You know what I'm talking about. If, if you're a new believer and you've ever, I remember going into churches, I, I, I grew up in like a Southern Baptist traditional style church. But then when I became a Christian, my buddy was like, do you got to come to church with me? And I'm like, all right. And, and it was these like over the top gospel, charismatic Pentecostal churches. And I saw stuff I had never seen before. And I'd been a really worldly person. I'd done a lot and seen a lot. I just never seen that before. And at first glance, you're kind of taken back and you're like, oh, Lord Jesus, what is going on? And, and, and so there are certain camps and, and, and listen to me, not all people are like that. Not all camps are like that. But there are certain people that take the Holy Spirit. And what we do is, is we get in this groove where we go so far into an extreme and we make him strange. We make him goofy. We make him weird. This is why in the, in the book of First Corinthians, when Paul is teaching on the Holy Spirit, in chapter 14, he actually corrects the church. The whole First Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 is a big correction because of the way that they were basically taking the Holy Spirit and making it so extravagant and so outrageous and so over the top. This is what he said to him in chapter 14. He said, when people that come into your church who don't know the Lord and they see you, you are freaking them out. So there is a way that you can take the Holy Spirit and go so over the top. And here's one of the things that you run into when you do that. Number one is this. Is many of us have unique experiences, and that's okay. And sometimes strange things happen. When you read the Bible, there's just some strange stuff in the Bible. So I'm not saying that sometimes strange things don't happen. But here's what you've got to be careful of. We don't make doctrines out of experiences. Does that make sense? We make doctrines based on what the Scripture teaches. And so that way you don't go out, have a weird, goofy, strange experience based on who knows what. It could be the Holy Spirit. It could be what you had for dinner last night. It could be that bad sushi. We don't know. But here's the deal. We don't come back and say, hey, this is the way God worked in me. And that way, therefore, he needs to work it like that in you. Does that make sense? So we don't take strange experiences and create doctrines out of them. The other thing that I find out of this camp is this is many times because they are uh, maybe in touch with the Holy Spirit in a different way than other people. It, it creates an elitism. And I'm very, very like disturbed by this. I hate when certain camps feel like their connection to God is so better than other camps that they get the right now to look down upon you. Does that make sense? Be really, really careful. I don't, I don't care how spiritual you think you are. Because no, here, here's the deal. There, there's a huge kind of oxymoron. The people that sometimes claim to be closer to God actually become arrogant and prideful about how close they are to God. Which makes no sense, does it? Because you would assume that the people who are closer to God would actually have an abundance of love and mercy and patience. Meaning this, that the people who so operated in the gifts of the spirits would also, oh, not spirits, the gift of the spirit would also overflow with the fruit of the spirit. Meaning that if you had that close of a relationship with God, out of your heart and mouth and mind and actions would flow love and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. And so... So be careful. So there's certain camps that get over into one ditch and it's, it, it, they kind of make, because here's what I know about goofy people. Because listen, I, I've been around the circuit. I was talking to somebody else about denominations the other day and I was explaining to them. I've, I've been in everyone, seen everyone. I appreciate everyone for what they bring to the table. Um, also looking like yeah, they're, they're great here, but here is unique. That's funny. That's different. And so I was explaining to them the different camps and, and, and why they are the way that they are and what they have. Here's, here's what you want to do, though. You don't want to do. You don't want to get into one camp and say, hey, we're better than you. We're better than you because we've got this or whatever. That, that spiritual elitism is what you want to avoid. You want to avoid uh, being goofy and then being elite because you think it because, again, 
having been a part of every denomination, every group, here's what I found in certain care, because I've worked in charismatic Pentecostal church, went to a Pentecostal Bible college, grew up Southern Baptist. I'm weird. Don't try to peg me down. Um, I'm a mutt of Christianity, if you will. Here's what I know is that is that sometimes we get into these groups and 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 people get the Holy Spirit. And they're so drawn to that and attracted to that and they need that and they want that. And then they make the Holy Spirit look really, really weird or really, really goofy. And here's what you need to know about them. They was weird before they got saved. I promise. I promise the Lord Jesus. They was weird. What you did was is you was weird. And then you met Jesus, fell in love with the activity of the Holy Spirit, and then you blamed your weirdness on God. But in reality, if we back that train up, you was weird before you got saved. You just brought your weirdness, started blaming on God. So anyway, don't, don't fall into that camp is all I'm saying. Now, but here's the other one. And this one may be worse. Please hear me out. I'm not throwing anybody under the bus. I'm just saying be aware. This one over here may be worse. And it's this. Some people make the Holy Spirit weird. Some people make him irrelevant. And I think that might be worse. I mean, at least they're trying. At least they're making attempt. At least they're pursuing the activity of the Holy Spirit in their life. They may fall over the deep end, but at least they didn't make him irrelevant. And so many times you'll, you'll, you'll see churches. I remember, like I said, I grew up Baptist. And somebody asked me, well, was your Baptist church against the gifts of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit? They, did they teach against that? I'm like, no, they didn't teach against it. How do you teach against stuff that's just plain as day in Scripture? My church didn't teach against it. They just didn't say anything. Because they, oh, I, th- I feel like the church I grew up in felt like the Holy Spirit was like Pandora's box. Like, if we open it, we don't know what people will do. If we open it, somebody may speak in tongues. Just shh, don't say nothing, and maybe nothing weird will happen. And so that's, so again, that's the ditch you want, you don't want to fall into. And, and, and for some people, it falls into two categories. Again, number one is if you're making the Holy Spirit relevant, number one is usually because you don't know. Maybe you're new to Christianity. Maybe you grew up in a church that never talked to you. You just don't know. But the other one is this though, is that you're so freaked out and afraid of being in that camp that you so just swing this way on the pendulum. You're like, I don't want to be close to them people. And you make the Holy Spirit irrelevant. Here's what you need to know is that the Holy Spirit is crucial to your success at following Jesus. The Holy Spirit is crucial to your finding abundant life in God. The Holy Spirit is crucial to you doing anything in this life. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit. Six big ideas that I need you to know about the Holy Spirit as we kind of begin this journey. Are you ready? Number one is this, is you need to know that the Holy Spirit is God. Are you with me so far? Many times what we do is, is the, we think the Bible talks so much about the Father, and then clearly there's a lot to be said about Jesus. But then there's kind of the Holy Spirit, and he's kind of the third wheel of the Trinity. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I don't want to be a third wheel. I mean, that's not who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is also not mini-God. Does that make sense? It's not like Dr. Evil and mini-me. You know what I'm talking about? It's, it's, not, it's, it's not like there's God, and then the Holy Spirit is God Jr., you know, when I was a kid, I, I was a lifeguard, but before I was a lifeguard, I had to be a, a junior lifeguard, which basically meant you just sat around and did whatever the lifeguard said, but you couldn't save nobody. Okay, he's not God junior, he's not mini-me, he's not holy God in training, he's, he's none of those things. He is God. Listen to this, Second Corinthians thirteen fourteen. I could throw a bunch of scriptures, I don't have time. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Do you see the dynamic working? All three of them. So what is Paul saying here? He's saying, I, I need Jesus and his grace all over your life. I need the love of God all over your life. But I also need the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Everybody say fellowship. This means you're hanging out with, relating to, spending time with. 
Your fellowship with the Holy Spirit is important. But notice that Paul says, hey, it's not, hey, God's number one. Jesus is number two. And then the Holy Spirit is number three as if they were a hierarchy. And one was in charge of the other. They are in perfect unity and perfect harmony. And they are all perfectly God all at the same time. The Holy Spirit is God. The second thing I need you to know is this, is that the Holy Spirit, he is a person. Because here's the other thing we get into. How many of y'all like some Star Wars out there? Let's be honest. I got my son's clap. Thank you. Look. Okay, let, let me just help. Star Wars is awesome. Okay? Y'all just need to get that. Star Wars is awesome. Every, every little boy wants to be a Jedi. Okay? It's just cool. And so there's all kinds of cool things about Star Wars. But, but I think Star Wars has set the tone for maybe how we interpret the Holy Spirit. Because, you know, little Yoda and all these people will be like, may the force be with you. The Holy Spirit is not a force. Does that make sense? It's not this like mysterious, you know, metachlorian force. It's not that. The Holy Spirit is a person. He has a a, a personal pronoun. He is a he. Does that make sense? As a matter of fact, when you you read the scriptures in the book of Acts chapter 5, it says that he's upset because he was lied to. So you can lie to the Holy Spirit. In the verse in the book of First Thessalonians, the Bible says that he can he can be quenched, meaning like he's a person, and like you totally just zap the energy right out of him. You totally zap what he was doing. You quenched him. L- listen to this. Ephesians four thirty says this says that he can be grieved, like you can literally break the heart of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? I, I wish I had time to work this out. I have a four part series back there on the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do a one shotter here. Please bear with me. But the Holy Spirit can be grieved. You know what grieves the Holy Spirit? How you treat. Your brothers and sisters, how you treat other people is what grieves the Holy Spirit. But I just need you to know this. He's not a force. He's not a mist. It's not mystical. It's not a weird thing. He is a person. Now, does that mean you can wrap him up in flesh and blood and bone and all? No. But for whatever reason, when you listen to Jesus talk about the Holy Spirit, he is a person. It's important that you understand that. Number three is this. And this is what you say. Let's let's move through this progression. Number one, he's God. He is a person. And here's what he's to do. He is here to help you. So you ask, like, well, what's the Holy Spirit for? I don't get it. It's, what, what, what does he actually do? I'm telling you, he pretty much does everything. Whatever you need to follow Christ, whatever you need to overcome, that is what the Holy Spirit does for you. He will help you. Listen to this. This is still out of the book of John, chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now that sounds strange, doesn't it? Where in the world would it ever be to our advantage that Jesus leave? That doesn't make any sense at first glance, does it? You're like, well, wait a minute. But Jesus was basically saying this. Look, I'm in a body while I'm here, and I am confined to space and time for the most part here. So I can't be everywhere at all places with all people. Because it would be dope if we could just have Jesus just kind of, how many of y'all, you'd do a lot better on Saturday night if Jesus was just with you. You know what I'm talking about? You'd do a lot better in your relationships if Jesus was just with you. You'd do a lot better at work with that annoying, obnoxious coworker if Jesus was just with you. You'd be fine. But he's not. But this is what you need to be aware of. This is what most of us are unaware of. And this is why it's so important that we get this. Is that Jesus said, it's actually to your advantage that I go because I'm limited to space and time. But I'm going to do like a, like, y'all remember like WWE back in the day? If you go really back in the day, it doesn't, WWE, it was WWE what? F, that's right. And then like, I think the Worldwide Turkey Federation or some weird, they stole WWF. But remember, they used to have like these tag team events. Y'all remember? Uh, Road Warriors, y'all, 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 and see what, 
He's country. Anyway, all my country folk are like, yeah, woo, to be the man, you got to beat the man. Anyway, got to walk that aisle. Anyway, come back. They would do what, though? They would high-five tag team. They would jump out of the ring, and the other guy would grab a chair and jump in the ring and hit somebody. And that's how WWF works. But basically, this is what's happening at this point in time in human history, is Jesus is saying, hey, look, I'm out of here. I'm going to go over to heaven. I'm going to slap a high-five, and the Holy Spirit is going to come, and it will be to your advantage. Because the Holy Spirit is a person. He is God, and he will be within you. But not just, like, limited to one space and one time, but he can be in you, and in you, and in you, and in you, and in you, all at the same time, and y'all can go wherever y'all want and god is not ever limited to that are you with me so far so he's like it's to your advantage that i go because if i don't go away the helper will not come to you but if i go i will send him to you everybody say helper this is the greek word parakletos para means to come alongside so this was basically the help that is to come alongside of you it's also if you look at different translations of the bible it's referred to the same verse as the advocate as the counselor as the helper so what's he, I mean, he helps you with pretty much everything. All throughout the, the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, you see the Holy Spirit is totally involved with what the disciples are doing. Like, let me give you an example. The disciples, when they arrest Jesus, what do they do? They all run. They get scared. Run for their lives in fear. Forty days later, the, 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 the Feast of Pentecost happens. The Holy Spirit fills all of them. And now all of a sudden, they're up in the grill of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And they're giving them the business and preaching to them the word. And then getting beat for it. And they're like, stop, we're going to beat you some more. They're like, I don't care. You can beat me all you want. And they basically become a whipping post for the community. I mean, later on, they go into the Roman Empire to spread the gospel. And Nero's like, I'm going to beat you and kill you and cut your head off and I'm put you in my garden as like, a, as like a, a light ornament. And so they're like, we don't care. What happened? The Holy Spirit. Fearful? Bold. What happened in the middle? The Holy Spirit. He gives you the boldness to do what you will not do on your own or what you cannot do on your own. He gives, let, me, let me tell you, this is probably the ultimate end game, is the Holy Spirit empowers you and helps you to become like Jesus. That's where he really helps you the most. Let's keep reading. Verse number 8 says this, And when he comes, we're still reading the same, set, the same text, And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So here, here's the deal. He is God. He is a person. He is here to help you. He's also here to do something very unique, though. He is here to convict you. Everybody say convict. Y'all are very lackluster about that right there. And here's why. It's like we don't know that we like conviction. And most of us, the reason why we don't like conviction is because we confuse conviction with guilt. And nobody likes being guilted. How many of y'all had parents that gave you a guilt trip? Don't raise your hand if your mom's with you today. There's a certain generation of parents that were like experts on guilt tripping. And many times it started with, well, if you loved me. Y'all ever gotten that one before? Well, if you really loved me, and then they lay it on you. Listen to me. The Holy Spirit does not guilt. He convicts. And, and there's a unique difference in feeling. There's a unique difference in language even. Like, like guilt is this. You're terrible. You are awful. How could you do that? That's guilt, right? Conviction is, hey, there's something better for you. God is within you. You can overcome. Let's be better than this. Do you see the difference? One is to convict you. One is to, to lift you, to build you, to challenge you, to push you, to prod you even. The other one is guilt, is to kick you and then kick dirt on you and then just get a shovel and bury your life with it. 
is to put you down. So remember the difference between guilt and conviction. The Holy Spirit, and it says this too. It says that he's here to convict concerning righteousness, sin, and judgment. How fascinating that Jesus would use those words. Like one of the things that the Holy Spirit wants to remind you of, this is crazy, is that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So if you ever lose sight of that, just know the Holy Spirit is not convicting you that Satan is guilting you. Because there's a difference. Because everything the Holy Spirit would do would point you back towards Jesus. And one of the things he wants to continually convict you of or remind you of or bring to your mind in remembrance is that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Meaning you have been made right with God because of who Jesus is and nothing to do with you. But he is there to convict us. This is righteousness, sin. Absolutely, when we do something wrong, we need something within us going off, raising a red flag, sounding the alarm. Wait a minute. Hold up. Don't go down that path. Slow down. Don't do that. Take those words back. And so again, and then the last one is this, to convict you of righteousness, sin, and judgment. Meaning like, and this is the way I interpret that, is I believe that the Holy Spirit is to remind you of eternity. To keep you in mind that what you do in this life matters in eternity. That how you treat other people, that getting people connected to Jesus has an eternal ripple effect. Always be reminded that somebody spends eternity somewhere. Actually, everybody spends eternity somewhere. We need to be mindful of that when it comes to our communication, when it comes to our parenting, when it comes to our friendships, when it comes to that obnoxious coworker. And we need to remember, hey, they are a person for whom Christ died. They're going to spend eternity somewhere. Be minded that there is eternity that hangs in the balance at all times. So the Holy Spirit is there to convict you. Listen to this next scripture, verse number 13. It says, and when the spirit of truth comes, so now he has like a nickname. He went from the helper, the parakletos. Now he's the spirit of truth. He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Fifth big thing that you need to know is this. Not only will he convict you, not only will he help you, but in this reality, we say he will guide you in truth. Now, I'm going to tell you my story. When I was uh, a young kid growing up in church, didn't really buy in, wasn't really sure, but they had donuts, and so I was down. You know, youth camp was kind of fun, and I'd go and, 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 and hit on girls at youth camp, and that was kind of fun. And, but, but I didn't buy in. And don't you dare go to our youth camp and hit on girls. Dude, I was so Mac Diesel back in the day. I would actually, I'd actually stop at, have y'all ever been to um, Cracker Barrel? Anybody? God bless them, Cracker Barrel, right? One place you can get grits outside of the South. And, and they have the big gift shop. Dude, I would like go buy gifts in advance for like girls I was going to go Mac on at youth camp. And here's the funniest part of this. I became a Christian when I was 17. And I remember going to youth camp. It was like my last year of going to youth camp. And my youth pastor dogged me out. He's like, man, you can't get no girls no more, huh? And I'm like, dude, I'm trying to love Jesus. What's wrong with you? You're my youth pastor. Anyway. My point is, is that, is that I was a kid that grew up going to church, but everything seemed weird. Now, now, please listen to me. Dial in. Come back from my dumb story. If you go to church and it seems like nothing makes sense, and you read the Bible and it seems like nothing makes sense, I'm telling you that it could be that you're totally just standing outside of any relationship with God and, and you need to visit that first. You said, no, no, I believe in God, but everything just still doesn't make sense. I'm telling you, then you are gravely missing a relationship with the Holy Spirit 
Because the Holy Spirit is the one that guides you in all truth. Or he makes things make sense. I'll give you my, my, again, grew up in church. Nothing ever made sense. The preacher sounded like Greek. Read the Bible, read like some foreign language, didn't make any sense. A bunch of weird people with weird names. I don't get it. I'm telling you, something incredibly unexplainable happened to me when I became a Christian. And I really was, was open to the Holy Spirit in my life. I had a craving to read the Bible. Like anything I'd ever experienced. And when I read it, it was as if, as if words jumped off of pages. It was so illuminating. It was so incredible. And I'm like, how is it that I could never see that? It was as if I had blinders on my whole life. And when I had a relationship with God and the Holy Spirit was active in my life, I, I could read the Bible and stuff just clicked and stuff wowed me and stuff made sense. And I was blown away by the power of the scripture. I'd never experienced that before. And the difference is this. It's the Holy Spirit. He will guide you in all truth. And listen to me. And those of you who are believers and you, you have your devotional time with God and you read the Bible, listen to me. He takes it beyond that. It's not just that the Bible then makes sense to you. It's that he guides you in when to apply that truth. He guides you in how to use that truth. He brings the right truth to the right moment. Does that make sense? Because it's so important that you go beyond just memorizing Bible verses that we actually are able to take those verses and at the right moment have the right one come to our mind so that we know how to live as Jesus. Somebody say amen. That's what we're talking about is that he will guide you in all truth. Six and final, we'll kind of wrap up here, is that he will glorify Jesus. This is an interesting one. Listen to the scripture. Verse 14, it's real simple. This is what Jesus says. He will glorify me. This is Jesus. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. You you need to know this about the Holy Spirit. And this kind of brings us back to where we started earlier today. In certain camps, there's this thing where there's an attraction to the Holy Spirit, but then through the extreme kind of goofiness or weirdness or strangeness sometimes that people move towards what they actually end up doing is through goofiness they draw attention to themselves or they just try to draw attention to the holy spirit now here's what you need to know the holy spirit of 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 the three parts of what makes god the trinity he is the one that is so self-effacing he is so like no no it's not about me no no no, it's about jesus no no no, it's not he is so quiet he does not need attention He is not insecure. He's not over on the sidelines pouting, thinking, you know, that father. Everybody's like, the father, the father, the father. And then it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, he died for you, whatever. What about me? The Holy Spirit is not having a pity party and a pout mode. He's actually, listen, he he, he gets incredible joy and purpose from doing what? Glorifying Jesus. If you want to really know where the Holy Spirit is most welcome and most active... It is where the name of Jesus is being exalted. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't bring attention to himself. He certainly don't care about bringing attention to you. He's trying to bring attention to Jesus. Are you understanding me? He will glorify Jesus. That's what it is all about. He's trying to point you towards Jesus. He's trying to point the whole world towards Jesus. Because there's no other name given him a mint. Where we need to be saved. There is no salvation in any other thing, any other person, any other creed, any other set of rules. There is nothing. There is only salvation in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is constantly pointing to you that. Here's what I want you to, to do above all else. Is I need you to change your thoughts and your mind. I need you to change something within you to where you have a pursuit. To where this is in essence, this is where you're going in your heart and your mind. This is your pursuit. God, I constantly want to be aware Holy Spirit, I constantly want to be aware that you're in me, 
that you're within me, that you're around me, that you're up to something. Let me be so aware of that like I've never been before. And not only be aware of it. Now, here's the real trick. Here's the real key. For the first time, some of you will become aware of the Holy Spirit and his activity in your life. Here's for some of you where you need to go now. It's not enough just to be aware. You need to listen to and respond to. And here's what I've discovered in my life as being a Christian for I don't know how many years now. Is that the more that I listen and obey the Holy Spirit, the clearer his voice becomes and the more obvious his activity is to me. But it only becomes more clear and it only becomes more obvious when I listen and respond to what he says. Let's pray this morning. God, we pray and ask you that, that, that God, you would help us become so alive, so aware, so open. For some of us, we, we've had that thing where we didn't want to be weird. We didn't want to be goofy. And, we didn't, and, and we've so made you irrelevant. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that we would shake that off, God, that we're not worried about weirdness. We, we're worried about missing out on you. We're so worried about not hearing your voice that we don't care and we abandon all. God, we want to hear your voice. Holy Spirit, we want to feel your presence moving in us, moving through us. God, we pray that we become so aware, so sensitive to what you're saying to us, God. And help us to be obedient in that moment and respond to it. God, help us to walk out of this place and be different. Because, God, you're not just a father in heaven who loves us. You're not just a savior who died for us. But you are the God that is within us, helping us, guiding us, helping us to become more like Jesus. God, we pray and ask these things in your holy and precious name. We thank you so much. And we all said, amen. Amen. Give the Lord a big hand clap if you would.